This week, Heraclius. Hello and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the emperors from Augustus to Constantine Eleven. This is episode 96, mm. Heraclius. So, one of our fans... Oh, well, no, that's a bit presumptuous. <laughs> Someone that listens to this podcast said that Heraclius... He was very excited about it, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned him. Do you have high expectations? Is that what you're trying to say here? I do now, yes. But you didn't before? No, I had no idea who he was. Or... Yeah, uh, it's going to be a long episode. I don't know how long exactly, but it might come in slightly longer than a usual episode because there's a lot to pack in today. Okay. There is. And uh, a lot happens, so let's just jump straight into this. Splash. <laughs> We're in, right, okay. Quick recap, so quickly get back out again before we splash in. Oh, yes, all right. right <laughs> so to remind you, Focus revolted against Maurice. Yes, he did. Maurice died horribly on a dock. With his sons? Yeah. And all of them won. Yes, all their heads got put in a box. Mm. Yeah. Then, Focus was in charge, the Persians invaded, the Slavs and the Avars took over the Balkan region, everything started falling apart. Yeah. The Empire is in the worst state than perhaps it has ever been. Really? In the East? Well... Because the West ended, so... Yeah, exactly. But when the West was ending, at least the East was still around. Ah, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, now the East looks like it's ending. And there's nothing to cling on to. Oh, Heraclius, you've got a, got a big job on your hands, haven't you? Yeah, it's looking bad. Well, let's, let's see if he can right. do one. Now you can jump back in. Splash. Good, right, we're in. Early life. We don't have really anything on his early life. There was a chance his family came from Armenia, but we don't know. Uh, He himself was born in Cappadocia, possibly in 575. So that is pretty much when Justin II was going mad and Tiberius II was taking over. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. So whilst that was going on in Cappadocia, a little boy was born. Plop. Now, we know a little bit about his family. His father was a general under Maurice, apparently. Uh, During the war that led to the defeat of the Persians and the placing of Khosro II on the throne. Hmm. Remember, the Persian king of kings at the moment is Khosro. Yeah. And he was only placed there because Maurice put him there. So he feels he's indebted, but really probably hates that. Exactly, yes. Now, after this war, Heraclius, the elder, was given a position of the Exarch of Africa. So that's sort of like a patrician role, that they, they rule that area in the name of the empire. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, you've got it. So you, I listen. You, you have been listening, I'm impressed. Yeah. yeah. This was set up by Maurice uh, as a kind of, look, we know we can't help you over there, can you just rule in my name? Yeah. Cheers. But I'll still be collecting taxes off you and <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, Heraclius the Elder is over there ruling Africa for the Empire. Heraclius the Younger, so our Heraclius for this episode, uh, is a young man at this point, so he goes with his father. At some point, whilst he was in Africa, he was betrothed to a young woman. A native? No, this is a young woman who was still in Constantinople. Oh, that must be frustrating for him. (laughs) Yeah, quite possibly. Um, This is obviously some form of political marriage between families of the aristocracy, by the looks of things. So it's all been arranged. Uh, The the young lady, five years his junior, is called Fabia. And she's in Constantinople a very long, long way away. At some point, word reached the two Heraclii's that the Emperor Maurice had been deposed by the General Focus. 
We have no details about their reaction, but we can assume that they were not best pleased. They worked under Maurice, and they were yeah. given their position by Maurice, so they probably didn't like this. So a couple of years go by, Heraclius the Elders still run, running Africa, Heraclius the Younger probably getting experience, ruling under his father. Uh, they receive a letter from Priscus. Remember, Priscus is the emperor's new son-in-law. Oh, yeah. He's the one who got stoned. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And his letter said something along the lines of, help, 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 help. We've got a madman in charge. Help, 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 help. Yes. Ouch. These stones. <laughs> yeah. So the Heraclii figured perhaps they needed to do something. Reports of the empire falling apart were increasingly frequent. It would appear the east was in trouble, as was the Danube region. Everything is falling apart. Someone needs to swoop in and save the day. It was decided that they would attempt to take the throne off the usurper, give the empire back to the correct people, i.e. themselves. We <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> want the power. They have no legitimate claim on the throne, but yeah, who cares? Anything's better than focus. So, testing the waters here, Heraclius the Elder issued some coins um, just with them dressed as consuls on them. Nothing big. We'll just put some imagery out there, see? See how it goes. That'd be the equivalent of us sending a letter home to parents saying, you know, Mr. Boyle, head teacher. Yeah, just, just to see if anyone disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I imagine there'd be a few people muttering about that, going, oh, that's yeah. interesting. It's essentially a focus group, <laughs> which is ironic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, will, will we get away with this? Will people like it? Apparently, coins went down quite well. It's yeah. money, they will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like this coin. I'd like them more if I had more. <laughs> Yeah, so, the plot is started. Of course, this doesn't escape the attention of Focus, and Heraclius soon receives word that his future wife had been imprisoned along with his mother. Oh. That's not great, but this did not deter the two Heraclii. Their wife and their fiancé were, were imprisoned, held hostage. They weren't going <laughs> to take this line down. Do you think Heraclius was sort of partially relieved at that? <laughs> we have no idea. Oh, we, no, she's been arrested. Oh, it's a shame. We don't even oh. know if they've ever met. I mean, yeah. <laughs> could, Fabia could just be a name at this point. That's true. But, so, Oh, at this point, does that mean, do they, do they, you know... Oh, well, we'll find out. I don't want to ruin anything. That's true, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the two put their heads together and come up with a plot. <laughs> Heraclius the Elder was a bit too old to go off and do the fighting. Yeah. So, he made a deal with his son and his nephew. His nephew was called Nicetus. And he said to Nicetus and his son Heraclius, Both of you will leave this place. You will both head towards Constantinople. The first one to take the throne will become the emperor. Oh, it's like a challenge. Like a challenge. Nice. Yes. Two men bound for glory. Yeah. It's really exciting. Only one will get the throne. People in Carthage were loving this. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they both got a horse on on a on a on a line. Okay, on your marks, get set, bang! And they just turn and look confused at Heraclius the older and go, "What? What is that? bang for? I don't have a gun." Yeah, it didn't start well. No, it, it, was, a, it was a confused start. Um, it also didn't start well because Nicetus was told that he would travel via land, whereas Heraclius the younger would uh, have a fleet. Ah. A word that literally means swift. <laughs> have a guess who manages to get there first. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> By fleet, you mean sea? Yeah, fleet of ships. Yeah, I was going to say, because if you're in Africa, you're trying to get to Constantinople. Yeah. Fleet's the best way to do it. Oh, yes, very much so. In the history books, this has 
been built up as a race between the two, but it's more likely that they had just planned out a strategy where Nicetus goes via land and Heraclius goes via sea. It, Heraclius was always going to get to Constantinople first. That's yeah. just a given. But I, I'd like to think Nicetus was there saying, yeah, yeah, excellent competition. But hang on, why don't I get ships? This is a donkey. Not even a horse. <laughs> And it's got a block of concrete strapped to its leg. <laughs> Why? And I'm pretty sure it's dead. <laughs> anyway, the uh, the race was on. Let's call it a race anyway. <laughs> Nicetus, however, was actually the first to make an impact. He had taken his land troops across the north coast of what we would call Africa today and into Egypt. Okay. And he was able to take Egypt with relative ease. Hmm. Let's face it, Egypt were more than happy that Focus was being revolted against. So he goes in, he takes Egypt, cutting off the grain to the capital. The capital received grain mostly from Egypt, Mm. secondary from Africa. So uh, he's not getting them from either of those provinces anymore. And and is at this point there they're struggling with famine? Oh yes, yes, you remember that correctly. So this is not going well for Focus in Constantinople. Heraclius, meanwhile, sailed via Sicily and Cyprus. He didn't need to rush too much. He'd got ships. Yeah. (laughs) He he knew he wasn't going to be beaten. We're a a pleasure cruise. Yeah, exactly. He, He stopped off in several places, generally gaining support making sure everyone was on board. Are we all okay with this? I'm nipping to the capital. Anyone want anything while I'm there? (laughs) Got some bread, that's fine, yeah. (laughs) So as he neared the capital, he sent some messengers off who met with the leaders of the Green faction. The plan to take the city was put in place. But before anything happened, the Greens broke out of prison Heraclius's fiancée and mother. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And delivered them to him. Oh. So, there you go. Mother, mother, I've missed you so much. Who yeah. the hell are you? <laughs> I'm sorry, and you are? Oh. Oh. Now, by this point, Priscus and the Excubitors, remember Priscus was leading the Excubitors, yep. the guard, um, they deserted to his side as well on this point. And depending on which version you believe, Focus was either dragged out of the palace to a ship that Heraclius was on, or Heraclius was led into the city. Either way, Heraclius killed the previous emperor by stabbing, beheading, burning, or throwing him to the demons. All of it. All of it. I think that's what we agreed. Yes, okay. So there we go. That pretty much catches us up. So he's now for next week. Yes. Well, it had already been a busy day. <laughs> it really had. He'd um, taken over an empire. Yeah. That's a lot to do in one day. It is. And not that the whole thing took one day. In fact, it took over a year for him to get to Constantinople. Yeah, slow going. He was building support and his men up as he went. But that final push obviously took place on a day, as things do. Well, that must have been a horrible day for Focus, though. It was a horrible day for Focus. It was a busy day for Heraclius, is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Because this was just the start. I mean, this was probably about midday. He had a lot more to do because he made his way into the palace and he married Fabia. Oh. This was his wedding day, which is nice. Oh, we- she must be annoyed. There no planning. Well, wedding crap. days are stressful enough, as it is. Yeah. If you have double-booked yourself, so you're taking over an <laughs> empire at the same time as getting married, it's... Uh... So you have to think these things through. Yeah. But he hadn't double-booked himself, actually. He triple-booked himself. Because he also had a crowning ceremony that day. And wow. became the emperor officially. Okay. Yeah, it was a very, very busy day. Fabia changes her name to Eudocia as well, so she sounds more like an empress. And just like that, Heraclius is in place. So after all of this, Heraclius goes and has a nice sleep. 
Oh, probably. That's not written down anywhere, but he's got to be knackered. Yeah, he's going to be, isn't he? And you know what it's like when you've had a busy day and the thoughts are running through your head. Yeah. It's like you've staged a coup, you've been crowned emperor and you've got married all in one day. Oh, that's a lot. It's a lot to do. Yeah. But equally, he probably got his to-do list out and very satisfied as he crossed those three things off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. First three down, 478 to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the next day was all about showing the masses that he was there. And he and his wife were greeted by cheering crowds as he left the palace the next day. Everyone was very happy that Focus was dead. <laughs> He was horrible. <laughs> he was. He tortured me. Still smell the burning of people. <laughs> However, it was not long before Miraculous settles down to business. Because as you pointed out right at the start of the episode, the Empire is in a mess. Yeah. Mesopotamia and Syria were overrun by the Persians. In fact, some Persians were still across the water in Chalcedon. Remember the city just across the water to them. Uh, that That's not good. No. <laughs> no. And although they had no ships, so they weren't an immediate threat to the capital, they were still pretty much visible. Uncomfortably close. Yeah. Very, very uncomfortably like close. You could look out the palace windows and you go, cooey. Yeah, at night you could see their, their watch fires. Oh, okay. uh, well, that's very close. That's very close, yeah. yeah. Also, the Slavs and the Avars were raiding more than ever. This is about when news of the revolts in Antioch that I talked about last time reached the capital. Yeah. Remember in Antioch, the Jews and the Christians started massacring yes. each other in turn. The Jews were openly deserting to the Persians because they were fed up with being mistreated by the Christians. Oh, yeah. The Christians thought we can change their opinion of us by killing them all. <laughs> um, they now love us. Yeah, so things were getting messy. Blood in the streets kind of thing. So, so Antioch is not in a good way. Now, Heraclius is in a sticky situation here. The army he inherited were a mere shadow of the one that Maurice had under him. Various revolts and numerous losses to the Persians and the Avars had left the army just in a state. Full of feathers. Yes. So, realising he needed to do something, Heraclius started setting out plans to reorganise the army. However, he soon found that internal politics and divisions were stopping the reforms working how they should. There was a lot of internal politics. The Senate was stronger than ever. The church had a lot to say. The mm. bu bureaucracy had gone off the charts. And there were a lot of charts about the bureaucracy at that time. So it, it wasn't great. Plus, the treasury was empty. Can you just go, nah, screw all this, start from scratch? Funny you should say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do, the bad news keeps flooding in. Oh, Roger. <laughs> yes. Busy day for him. Oh, it's going to be a busy while for Roger. He's going to be around a lot this episode, I feel. Yeah, Roger turns up to say that the Persians now had a new general who seemed to know his stuff. He was uh, becoming a bit of a superstar in the world of generals. His name was Shavaraz. Shavaraz. Or Shavaraz, depending on how you want to say that. The royal boar, that means... Ooh. Shavaraz was making a name for himself. He was far better than anything the Romans had. And the Romans were really doing terribly. So not <laughs> only have the Persians got the numbers at this point, they've also got a decent general behind them. But surely he can't be that good then. Because if the Romans are really terrible and he's winning, that doesn't mean he's good. It's like when England beat Tunisia. <laughs> it's like, meh. Okay, that's maybe a good point. But all you need to know is that the morale of the Romans is sinking. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Shavaraz had taken advantage of the unrest in Antioch and had taken the city. Oh dear. Antioch, obviously one of the key cities in the empire, it's gone. That's quite shocking. Ah, bugger. Heraclius, desperate, sent some envoys to Cosro, 
any chance you want to stop fighting? Please. He asked. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say I've got much to offer here, but is there any chance you want to... Li- oh, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, the envoys were just sent back empty-handed. Still, some good personal news at last. Ooh. Yes. Pregnant. Fabia is pregnant. No. Twice. Not at the same time. Oh, not twice. No. <laughs> no, but she does have two children by this point. A son and a daughter. The son was called Heraclius Novus Constantine, or at least would become to be known as that. You might want to put a box around him. So there you go. Did you like that bit of good news there? That was nice. Because that's all you get him. Oh. Disaster then struck the royal family <laughs> because Fabia dies. No! Yes. I've really gotten to know her. Yeah. Not in that way. No, no. But yeah, she's dead. That's a shame. Well, sources are slim, but it would appear to be related to epilepsy that she um, she oh. died. The Augusta was very popular, apparently, and her death sent cries of sympathy for the new emperor throughout the capital. A funeral was arranged. Her open coffin paraded through the streets. Ew. Now... <laughs> it was a dignified death, then. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than, you know, head was blown off by a... No, open casket was fine for okay. this one. Yeah. Although perhaps they shouldn't have done, because... Oh. There was a young woman who was not happy with the royal family for whatever reason. And as the funeral procession went past her house, she spat out of the window and it landed on the corpse. Ooh. Yeah, the uh, the crowd were not pleased with this. No. Outraged, they stormed the house. The young woman was pulled out of the house and burnt alive. Ooh. That's one of those moments where you really regret doing something. Yeah. As the flames start licking up. Yeah. I didn't mean it. (laughs) I sneezed. I sneezed. (laughs) Yeah. So as you can see, uh, passions are high. So, uh, yeah, personal bad news for the Emperor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, maybe when Roger turns up next, it will be good news. Is it? No. No. (laughs) No, Shadrass had taken Damascus. Oh. Yeah. Without resistance, the Persians were systematically taking all the cities in the east, essentially. And in 614, the biggest shock of all, they lost Jerusalem. Now, this sent more shockwaves than any of the others. Jerusalem was the holy heart of the empire. Yeah. Was the holy centre. And now it was gone. It was more shocking when they learnt what exactly had happened. The city had understandably surrendered immediately. And they just couldn't resist the Persian forces. They realised no defence was coming anytime soon. The Romans essentially had no army at this point. So they gave up. The Persians set up a garrison there and Shavaraz went off on his way. However, once Shavaraz had left, the city revolted. Every Persian and Jew who did not manage to escape the city was slaughtered overnight. Wow, that's some guerrilla warfare going there, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I'm not sure what they thought the long-term plan was here. It just means they'll come back even angrier. That's exactly what Chavarez does. He wheels round, not happy at all. Now, so far, he has, in every city, said, no, no, it's fine, we'll leave a garrison, you guys can get on with whatever you do, you just pay us taxes now, we're in charge. It was a relatively peaceful takeover. Yeah, it's just a different address on the checks. That yeah, exactly. Sit, this wasn't raiding into Roman territory. This was the Persians literally taking over. Yeah. Uh, this was meant to last. So Chavarez, when he reaches Jerusalem for the second time, realises that he needs to send a message. We will be peaceful, but if you cross us, we will kill you all. And that's what they do. It was no longer an occupation, but a massacre. Houses and churches were burnt down, Christians systematically killed. And most devastating to the Romans, the Holy Cross 
was taken. The Holy Cross. The Holy Cross. Now, according to the stories at the time, Helena herself, remember her? That's Constantine the Great's mother. She used to be a oh, barmaid. Yeah. yeah? Now, I honestly can't remember if I mentioned this at the end of Constantine's episode. It wouldn't surprise me if I didn't. There was a lot to pack in there. But um, Helena goes on a bit of a pilgrimage later on in life after Constantine's established himself. Mm. Now, according to the story, this is certainly what they believe during Heraclius' time, is that Helena, on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, had wanted to find the original cross that Jesus was crucified on. And she did. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> did anyone check behind the sofa? Hey, there we go then. Yeah. No, they, they did a bit of digging up. They found several crosses. They weren't sure which one was the Holy Cross. Mm. So apparently they placed a sick woman in the shadow of the crosses and she suddenly got better in the shadow of one. So obviously that's the Holy Cross. Or she had heat stroke. Or <laughs> she had heat stroke. Yeah. Now, obviously, to our modern ears, this sounds... Yeah. Dubious, shall we say. But this is definitely what they believed back then. So once Helena had found the Holy Cross, she decided to split it into two, which is always mentioned in a kind of, oh, she split it into two. Uh, nowhere have I seen it mentioned the horror that must have been on some people at that point. It's like, you've just found the Holy Cross. The first thing you want to do is make it not a cross. So if you, you're given a Fabergé egg, like the first one ever created, you wouldn't split into three parts to give out to your friends, would you? Yeah. Make a Fabergé scrambled egg. Yeah. Yeah, you just wouldn't do it. <laughs> but this is what Helena did, apparently. She sent one of the beams back to her son. Yeah. And the other one was kept in Jerusalem. So there is a bit of wood, basically, yeah. in Jerusalem that everyone is convinced Jesus was crucified on. 600 years old. Yeah. Okay. The Persians take it as they would. Now, they, they don't destroy it. No. They realise this is a very important bit of wood. But so it's, it's a moral... But yes, it's one of the few things they don't destroy, though. The city is pretty much razed to the ground. If we can believe the sources, over 100,000 people died during this whole episode. Mm. Persians, Jews and Christians taking it in turn to massacre each other. So uh, it's, all, it's all a bit nasty. Yeah. Anyway, back to Heraclius. He's not best pleased. No. But Roger walks in. Hello, sir. He's got a letter. Another yeah. one. <laughs> Another letter. Um, Egypt's gone. What? Yeah. Haven't they just taken that over? Nicetus. Nicetus. Oh, yeah, but, but that was that was a civil war, though. So oh, okay. it, was, it was Roman, and then it was still Roman. Oh, right. Now Egypt is gone to the Persians. Oh. Egypt had been in the empire since Augustus. No one had ever taken it before. It had exchanged hands in civil wars before, but it had never been taken by an external force. Just like that, Egypt is out of the empire. I'm going to... Heraclius not doing very well. He's not, is he? Still, finally a bit of good news, a bit more personal good news. Yeah. He managed to grow that moustache a bit. Yeah, he managed to grow out his moustache a bit. <clears throat> and also, he found a new wife. Oh. Yeah. Her name's Martina. She sounds nice, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, slight snag here. Martina was Heraclius's sister's daughter. Oh. Yeah. So his niece. Yeah. Mm. Not mm. great. This did not go down well with anyone, really, at no. all. His own family were horrified. His brother was disgusted by it. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's a step too far for most. The patriarch, a man named Sergius, not not best pleased. Outraged, oh. I think, is a better way of putting it. Uh, the general people were not best pleased either that their beloved new empress 
who they'd had just finished mourning, had been replaced with this incestuous union. Hmm. So, not going great. No. No. However, the Patriarch, realising that if this toppled Heraclius, then the Empire was literally going to end. That's not hyperbole anymore. No. If we end up with another succession war here, yeah. the Persians will walk in and take us over. So they need him as a figurehead. No. Yeah. So not really as a thing, just as a... Yeah. We, we, need, some, we need stability. That's what we need. That's good, though. So that. the patriarch swallows the, the bile and gets behind <laughs> the marriage. Oof. The two are wed. There's and muttering. you, Heraclius, <laughs> take your niece. <laughs> yeah, it was a strained wedding, shall we say. But more for the guests, though. It's like, what side of the aisle do you sit on? Rise or is it both the same? It's fine, though. It's Hagia Sophia's. You have ceremonies in the middle. No, that's, It's that's in the easy. round. That's okay. Yeah, it's all okay. Of <laughs> course it through. Yeah. So, by this point, the area that the empire truly ruled was down to Africa. Yeah. They still have that province. Bits of Italy. Remember, the Lombards had uh, yeah. taken over huge chunks of that, but they still had bits of Italy left. They still had most of Greece left, although parts of it were being heavily raided by the Slavs. They had a couple of cities in Spain from Justinian's conquests, and the land around the capital. That was about it. It's not really an empire, is it? The, well, it's been reduced to a collection of city-states scattered along the Mediterranean. Divided. Yes. So by this point, I mean... It doesn't seem like he's done much, does it? No. No, and he's... Uh, this This is about... About six, seven, eight years has passed by this point. It's quite a lengthy time, then. Yeah, it is. Now, you said not long ago, surely you'd just say, let's give up and start again. Yeah, kind of like, no, I can't have these warring people. I'm just going to make decisions. We're just going to start from scratch. Well... Get the big rubber out. The eraser. That's pretty much exactly what he thinks. Okay. He starts thinking bigger picture thoughts. Yes, Constantinople was about as secure as a city could get. Those walls were bloody good. (laughs) But it's not particularly safe anymore. Plus, he was getting fed up with every time he came up with a plan to help the empire, the state, the senate, the church, the general bureaucracy got in the way. The ruling class of the capital were now stronger than they had been for a very long time. The senate was starting to resemble the senate of the olden days. They had quite a lot of power. Mm. So, Heraclius announced one day that he was thinking of moving the capital to Carthage. Just up sticks and go. Literally start again. You know what? The Eastern Roman Empire's not working. Let's just move to Africa. I liked it over there. That's essentially what the West did. That's how they created the East, isn't it? Just shift over from... Yeah, pretty much. It's been done before. (laughs) You can imagine the reaction in the city. (laughs) Um... What? Sorry? (laughs) You can't just move? (laughs) Yeah. Well, Heraclius pointed out that he had led a successful invasion from the African capital. Hmm? He would be able to work better from over there. He knows the land. Yeah, I know the land. Uh, there isn't all this rubbish bureaucracy all over the place. I, I just, I'd be more comfortable over there. It's a genuine autocracy, which is what yeah. we want. Yes. Now, there were two theories of why he did this. Theory number one, he was very scared. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted to get away. <laughs> yeah. Theory two, he was bluffing. Oh. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, it may seem like he's done nothing whatsoever for about eight years. Mm. 
But he has actually been trying to reform quite a lot in the Empire. Yeah. He is attempting to reform the armies. They clearly don't work anymore. He's attempting to reform the tax laws. He's attempting to reform how the government works. Yeah. But he is hitting roadblocks at every single step. And he is getting frustrated. Mm. Because the Senate and the Church keep blocking him for various reasons. Yeah. We know what it's like when a, a government starts grinding to a stop because of personal infighting. Yeah. You get the feeling it was a bit like that at the time. Yeah. Various leading men of the city, after hearing Heraclius was planning to just stop sticks, gathered and implored him not to go. Everyone, like I said earlier, very aware that the Empire was on its knees. One more push would knock them over. If the Emperor abandoned them all, civil war was almost inevitable, and the Persians then would be able to take them out. Yeah. So, they all beg him to stay, basically. To give them an ultimatum. I'll stay as long as... You stop playing your silly games. Yeah. And let me actually rule. And that is exactly what he does. Nice. Yes. Everyone had to fall in line. From now on, what I say goes. Nice. We, we are facing the abyss here, guys. We need to focus. And it seems to work. Then you get Jeff, who's recently been elected as a as a Senate member. Shout out Vito. <laughs> He's quickly stabbed. Yes. He, he didn't quite say the O, so it didn't count. Vito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, Senate didn't have veto power. It was just no. an excuse to kill him, really. But, yeah. Well, he's an idiot. He was an idiot. A ceremony is then had to uh, formally announce that the emperor was definitely staying and he vowed he would never abandon the city. The masses all cheered and Heraclius used this popular support to sort of give a glance to the other powerful men in the empire. Go see. Look, seriously. Told you so. Heraclius wakes up the next day and thinks, right, now I'm feeling a bit more secure on the throne. Let's start sorting out the bigger problems here. First problem is money. The treasury is completely empty. I can't push anything through that I want to get through because we have no money. So how do we get money? We can't invade because, well, you could, but, oh, raise taxes. Rich people. Yes and yes. Strip the city of anything that's valuable. He taxes heavily any supporter of focus. (laughs) Nice which uh, no one objects to particularly well. Yes, he raises certain taxes, but doesn't do so in an extreme way. No. But he does generate some money. But by far the most important thing he did is he knocked on Sergius's door, the patriarch. Yeah. Hi. Hi there, patriarch. Uh, my, my treasury's a bit empty at the moment, and I couldn't help but notice the other day whilst walking past your treasury that the church has quite a lot of money. Bulging at the seams of gold it is. <laughs> Bulging. I now know why you, you built the dome so high on the Hagia Sophia. It's to really pack that gold in, isn't it, <laughs> Sergius? That's what you're doing. He then pointed out to Sergius that if the empire did not turn around their fortunes, then the Persians would soon invade, and the treasury that you were so carefully looking after would soon be filling a Zoroastrian temple. Mm. So how about you give me your money? Go on. Sergius to his credit, realises the wisdom of these words. Yeah. Yeah, we're pretty much last-ditch here. So, um, fine, have the money. And for the first time, the state was mainly funded by the church. I'm guessing they still don't have a say, though, because... Not really, but as you can imagine, this uh, precedent will have knock-on effects. Yeah, you owe us, sort of thing. The person who holds the purse strings 
will inevitably have a lot more power. Yeah. But for now, th- what this means is Heraclius finally has some wriggle room with his finances. Nice. This he was able to use finally on his military reforms that he was trying to push through. Slowly but surely, although he wasn't actually using them, he had been building up an army in the background. Oh, nice. Yes. He hadn't been using them because he didn't want to send them off and just watch them die. <laughs> Anyone who's ever played some kind of strategy game knows you don't send your army off in dribs and drabs. You build and you build and you build and then you attack when you're ready. Attack on mass, yeah. Yeah, so that's what Heraclius has actually been doing in the background. However, he knew that he could not go and reclaim his empire from the Persians with the Avars still raiding at his back. So he met with the Kagan of the Avars. That's the leader of the Avars. Okay. We don't have his name, unfortunately. It's lost to history. Um, Bald Eagle. <laughs> yes. So, he sent a message to Bald Eagle. A meeting was set up in a town not far from the capital, just outside the long walls of Anastasius. Remember those almost yeah. useless walls Anastasius had built? Yeah, lesson. Yeah, so let's meet there. The plan was to amaze the Avars with how much wealth the Romans had. Put on a show. Yeah. Really intimidate them. Look at all the gold we've got. I can't help but feel that's going to backfire with the Avars, though. <laughs> They're just going to go, oh, look what you've got. Shiny. <laughs> we'll have some of that. Thank you. <laughs> so the royal procession heads out of the capital. Like, full-on fancy mode. Gold wheels. Yeah. Gold fruits. Yeah. Just gold. Every, everything's Gen- gold. Generally gold. Yeah. Yeah. It's glowing as he's walking down the street. He's hired people just to go... <laughs> Every time he takes a step, just so it sounds like he's uh, he's glowing. That's beautiful. Yeah. So they head out to the small town. However, Heraclius was no fool, and he had sent scouts out ahead, just to yeah. be certain. The scouts soon were back. They had seen a detachment of Avars who were attempting to cut off the retreat to the capital. The Ooh. Avars were clearly planning to spring a trap here. That's still all their gold. Oh, yes. Heraclius quickly changed out of his royal robes and put on a peasant's tunic, jumped onto a horse and rode back as fast as he could to the long walls that he had had manned. Yeah. All he needed to do was get to the gate of the long walls. Now, probably a good time here to point out that one of the main sources of this time is a man who wrote history more in the style of an epic poem rather than actual history. So style of the substance. Yes, some of the stories we're going to get this episode, I'm not going to say maybe embellished. I'm going to say are embellished. (laughs) Definitely. Think Historia Augusta at three in the morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Some historians just discount them offhand. No. But we're not like that. No, we're to just ranking. Exactly. So we will be including them, but just know they probably didn't happen, but That's right. damn it, they happened. <laughs> right. So Heraclius jumps on his horse and starts riding full pout towards the long walls. Right. The Avars spot him and give chase. And then we have a horse chase. This is full on like in Lord of the Rings with the Dark yes. Riders. Yeah. Yeah. And Arwen. Heraclius manages to get through the gates just in time. They slam shut. Arrow. Doing. Yeah. Well, the Avars were so close, they literally rode into the door. Oh. <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. The horses, though, the Avars had jumped up and flapped away. Just yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> So there we go. High-speed horse chase. Nice. Yes. That's where you've got to get your nitro on your horse. Yeah, exactly. So a whole year follows with them um, trying to get relations back on track with the Avars. We have no details, but apparently a deal was eventually reached. 
Good. A meeting set up, this time more successful. Gold was exchanged, and yet another promise of peace made. Of course we'll stop raiding, just like we did the last 14 times you asked us to stop yes. and gave us gold. <laughs> That's a very evil laugh you're doing there. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But you can definitely trust us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a good meeting. Yeah, yeah. So, with the Avars settled, and by this point the Avars had pretty much taken over the Slavic tribes, so the Slavs are working for the Avars, so that well, is... good, because if you've, you've held on hold off the Avars, you've held off the Slavs Yeah, well. exactly, so all that sorted in the Balkan region. So, at last, Heraclius figured he was ready. These were desperate times, so desperate measures were needed. Heraclius announced that he would personally lead the armies against the Persians and reclaim the empire. This is now the first emperor of the East to ever lead troops into battle. Wow. The last one, kind Theodosius I, but he he ruled the whole thing, not just the East. And uh, Zeno did a little bit, and Maurice rode out, remember, and then got a sudden call and had to go back. Oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah. But no, Heraclius is going himself. The first thing he did is sail in the opposite direction than was predicted. There's probably a strategy for that. You hope. (laughs) I'm not going to say he's a coward, but let's let's see. (laughs) Well, no, the Persians were currently in Armenia, expecting the Romans to sail into the Black Sea and head into the region that way. Heraclius instead surprised them by sailing south around modern Turkey, past Cyprus, and landed in the Nuuk, between where Turkey and Syria are yeah. today. So in that, that bit where it just bends, in the top right-hand corner of the Mediterranean. Okay. Yeah. So he lands there. That's not where the Persians are. This isn't the quickest way to get there. It's not the most sensible way. But they're not going to see them. They're going to know. It'll be surprised. Not only that, it means that they definitely won't be attacked because Heraclius is not planning on going to war, or at least not yet. He's planning to spend an entire summer training. Oh, nice. Montage! Oh, yes, definitely. This is full-on montage time for yes. an entire army. You've got soldiers picking up swords by the pointy end at the start, <laughs> and not being able to put their tents up. Oh, helmet on the upside down. Yeah. Just rolling off. Accidentally stabbing themselves and dying slowly whilst crying yeah. for their friends. Yeah. Moving. Oh, oh hilarious. Yeah. And then by the end of the song, I mean, oh, it's it's amazing. Let's get down to business. <laughs> Are you thinking camp musical montage? Oh, yeah, Mulan style. <laughs> I'll make a man out of you. <laughs> That's what's going on. Yeah, lots of swinging on the uh, the tent poles. Yes. High-fiving each other, passing the old arse every now and again. Swishing swords at each other, but actually only cutting up their hats, and then they laugh oh, about it afterwards. And, slicing yeah. the shirt, but nothing else. Yes, exactly. Oh, it's it's good stuff. It really is. It's an entire summer of montage, basically. Nice. Heraclius is using the Strategicon as a guide. Remember the, uh, the strategy guidebook yeah. that was written yeah. by Maurice? So he, he's got that in hand, flicking through it. Going, right then, so how do you make an army? <laughs> Chapter one, how to make an army. <laughs> Wonderful, I picked the right book up. <laughs> it's touch and go, it's between this and uh, Mushrooms of Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> no idea what that is. <laughs> so after a lot of practising manoeuvres over and over and over again, Heraclius finally splits his forces into two and then lined them up against each other. So both facing outwards? Oh, no, facing inwards. Uh, A battle then commenced. 
And what? I'll quote. What? <laughs> the men stood in their armour. There were trumpet calls and phalanxes of shields. There were violent struggles and conflicts between them. The appearance of warfare. It was like seeing the fearful spectacle without the danger. Now, it doesn't mention it, but I can only assume they've all got wooden swords or something. So they're basically role-playing a battle? Yeah, Heraclius sets up a full-on battle. He gets his troops and fights them against each other. That's quite clever. Yeah, so... For better training. Yeah, exactly. So th- this is like the red team and the blue team. Wooden swords, maybe foam swords. Yeah. Go! Charge! <laughs> dunk, dunk, dunk. So we see people doing like Star Wars lightsaber fights with the plastic lightsabers. Yeah. That's 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 quite clever. Because it's like you can do as many football drills as you want and passing exercises, but you don't learn to play football unless you play football. Yeah, exactly. You don't learn to fight until you actually fight. Heraclius, well done to you. Are you impressed? Yeah, actually, that's quite good. Yeah, cool. it's pretty good. He's not only doing this, however, he's also... Throughout all this montage, running around, bolstering the morale of his troops, using religion to do so. So, If you lose, you go to hell! Not quite. Um, Speeches like this. Brothers, you see that God's enemies have overrun our land, laid waste to our cities, burnt our altars, and filled the tables of bloodless sacrifice with bloody murder. They take great pleasure in defiling our churches, which should not suffer. He's turning this into a religious war. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We are Christians. We need to defend the Holy Land. Nice. Yeah. Ways to energise. Yeah, so everyone's got a common purpose. Yeah. Common interest. So after months of this, of being told that they are God's last stand of training and practising... A lot of pressure, though. They march into the mountainous landscape of Armenia. You say a lot of pressure, oh yes, because everyone is very aware that this is the only army that Rome have. Mm. It's their last one. We have never been in a situation in all of our podcast where the Roman Empire is down to one army. That's insane. And now we are. If this army lose a single battle... And that's it. The empire, which started 600 years previously with Augustus, is gone. So, they march into Armenia. Now, I can only go over the war briefly, obviously, because so much happens. If, by any chance, you're listening to this and you've not listened to Robin Pearson's History of Byzantium, uh, he goes into a lot more detail. But I'm sure most of our listeners have listened to that. Yeah. Mm. But uh, he spends, I think, ten episodes on the reign of Heraclius. Wow. Uh, one of the episodes which covers this war is two and a half hours long. Okay. Yeah, so if you want more detail, go and listen to that. Uh, it's very, very good. So, Heraclius enters Armenia, and it's not long before they meet the forces of Shavaraz, the superstar Persian general. From Shavaraz's point of view, the Persians were on a roll. All they needed to do was deliver one more blow to the Romans to wipe them out. They'd never been so dominant in a war against their enemy. Mm. So this is good days for him. So, let's do it, he thinks. Let's attack. But Heraclius had chosen the battle formation well. Shavaraz's forces were split into three and came down from the highlands. But Heraclius had positioned himself so that when the sun rose, it would shine in the eyes of the Persians. Lord of the Rings style, Hell's Deep! If we can believe the sources, then yes, that is exactly what happens. The Persians come charging down and they are blinded. On the light of the third day, look to the east. (laughs) Exactly. Now, this is probably not true. Realistically, what's happening here 
is that Chavaraz is used to a Roman army that is falling apart and has no real command yeah. and suddenly comes across a force that has been training non-stop for a summer yeah. and is taken by surprise by that yeah. fact. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys know what you're doing. They sent all their substitutes out to fight instead. Yeah, well, Heraclius feigned uh, a route. He, they, he got all his troops to start running away. Chavaraz thinking, yep, yeah, this is how it usually goes, takes chase. On the one word from Heraclius, the whole army spins round. With their pointy things. With their pointy things. Shavaraz's forces scatter, and the Romans spend the rest of the day chasing down individuals like, and I quote, goats. Ooh. <laughs> Don't know if chasing down individual goats was a, a popular pastime at the no, time, but maybe it was. I so. Yeah, so there we go. First battle. It's going well. Yeah. The Persian camp was taken, all their equipment seized, which was good. Heraclius then nipped back to the capital while the army stayed put over winter. No complaining about staying out over winter this time. He'd managed to boost the morale of his troops enough. They were god soldiers, yeah. after all. So Heraclius heads back to the capital, makes sure everything is settled down there. Yeah. After all, he has left the capital. Yeah. Is everything secure? It's, it's all right. At capital, the Avars are causing a bit of a fuss, so he has to deal with them a bit. But again, we don't have much detail, but that seems to be put down. And then he's uh, he's back to his troops again. News had reached him by this point that Cosro, King of Kings, was currently in a city called Gaznak, a city comfortably into the Persian Empire. This is a deep into the empire, mm. not a border city at all. It was also one of their most holy cities. There was also rumour that the Holy Cross had been taken there. Ooh. So Heraclius decides to march directly towards the city. Cosro, perhaps taken by surprise by this sudden attack, retreated from the city and it fell to the Romans with ease. The palace Ooh. and the temples were razed to the ground and so was the nearby birth town of Zoroaster. The sack of Jerusalem had been avenged. Oh. This was just as holy to the Persians as Jerusalem was to the Romans. Seems at this point the army starts heading due south to Tessaphon, uh, but then they seem to change course. Heraclius announced that he needed to confer with none other than God himself on where to go next. He announced that they would all fast for four days, and then he would open the gospel at a random page and see what God had to say. Honour thy mother and thy father. Damn it. Damn it, I wanted a, a place name, God, a place name. Yeah, but apparently this just uh, opening a, a religious text and just pointing at something and using that to guide you was quite common. Yeah, okay. Obviously, you just did what you were going to do anyway, but that way yeah. you had the backing of God. Yeah. Yeah, it was a way to, to keep the masses in line, essentially. Now, apparently, God wanted them to rest for a while and not push on to Tessaphon. Uh, the troops were really eager to go and sack the yeah. capital. Perhaps Heraclius feared of overstretching, though. The victories they'd won had boosted the confidence of the Romans, but overconfidence could lead to defeat. And they were still the last standing army. Savvy. Yeah, if, if they lost at this point, they've still lost everything, just because they've won a couple of battles. Yeah. So, they headed north, and they wintered near the Caspian Sea. This land was also home to various Hunnish tribes with links to the Avars, who hated the Persians, so they were more than happy that the Romans were making trouble for their enemy. It was here that Cosro's armies caught up with them, however, in a... A very confusing battle, but this is roughly what happens. Cosro, by this point, had split his armies into three, under three generals. Right. Shavaraz, we have met. There was another called Shahin, and a third who we will call the other guy. Okay. So this is possibly what happened. Heraclius, realising that he was vastly outnumbered, this is everything the Persians have got, essentially, 
yeah. come to squish this last Roman army. So Heraclius hatches a plan. He was able to recruit some of the locals to work for him, to boost his numbers slightly. Mm. He also sent a couple of men to pretend to desert to Shavuos. They spread the message around that Heraclius was fleeing Shahin. Shahin was soon going to catch him and probably lose. Heraclius was convinced that he could not beat Shahin. Mm. Shavuos, not wanting Shahin to gain the glory of defeating the Romans moved to fight Heraclius before Shahin could arrive. So instead of the Persians all meeting up, they're now racing each other to go and fight the Romans one-on-one. To take the glory. To take the glory. And it separates their strength. Yes. Shavaraz and the other guy do join forces, but they rush into a battle thinking Heraclius is demoralised and fleeing. However, the Romans were more than ready and were not demoralised. The fighting went in Rome's favour, and the two Persian armies were routed. Just as the last few Persians were fleeing the, the blood-soaked battleground, Shahin's forces do arrive. Oh. <laughs> they were very disheartened to see that the other two armies were, were being chopped to pieces in front of them. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Tony. <laughs> so more fighting takes place. But in the end, Shahin and Shavaraz were forced to retreat. The other guy lay dead in the battlefield. Oh dear. So, another fantastic win for the Romans. That, if lost, would have been the end. Mm. Looking pretty good, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Over winter, fighting mainly stopped, but skirmishes continued. Some were won, some were lost, but nothing major is going on at this point. One story at this time, however, is of the Romans managing a surprise attack against Shavaraz's headquarters. Heraclius sent a small detachment to try and take Shavaraz. Yeah. The guard only noticed the Roman infiltrators at the last minute, and Shavaraz ran out of his tent completely naked, jumped up onto a horse, and escaped. Oh, Yeah. Flapping in the breeze. Quite the sight. <laughs> <laughs> All his belongings were taken by the Romans, a gold shield and some sandals that had precious gems in them, apparently. Ooh. Fancy footwear. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not suitable for fighting, though. No, unless the precious gems are sharpened to a point. Oh, yeah. And they're just, like, on the toes. Yeah, all right. And yeah, he spends the battle just kicking people in the shins. Yeah, oh, yeah, that'd be... Oh, that'd be nasty. Again, possibly should put in a reality warning there. That probably didn't happen, but yeah. let's say it did. Because right. it's funny to imagine him running naked through the desert. <laughs> So, fighting starts up again. The two armies generally manoeuvre around each other a lot. At one point, Shavaraz and his forces flee over a bridge, and the Romans follow them. The Roman vanguard followed, convinced that they had the Persians on the run, but this was Shavaraz proving that he has actually a good general, mm. because this was a ruse. He was not fleeing, this was a trap. As soon as the vanguard crossed the bridge, the Persians swung round and destroyed this portion of the army. This is a problem. This is the first time that the Romans look like they're going to suffer a defeat. And Heraclius realises that he cannot afford to have a defeat. Mm. So, and again, reality alert. <laughs> Heraclius, seeing that his men were in trouble and that the bridge was mostly clear, rushed forward to get a hold of the situation. So on his own, rushing over the bridge to... He ran over the bridge, but there was someone in the way. Oh, no. And I quote, A giant of a man met and attacked him in the middle of the bridge. This apparently was a huge giant Persian right. standing in the middle of the bridge. I'm going to say two swords in his hands, because why yeah. not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. 
and harassing. Shirtless as well. Shirtless, obviously, yeah. yeah. Yeah, covered in scars. Yeah. Really deep voice. And you've got Heraclius, the emperor, running across the bridge to try and get some kind of organisation on the other side. Yeah. And I quote again, the emperor struck him and hurled him into the river. So you've got one-on-one battle with the emperor and a giant on a bridge. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And the emperor's picked walking through and through. Yeah. Okay. So it um, doesn't go into much detail there, but I'm guessing the giant did a really big swing. Heraclius. Big slow, lumbering swing. Yeah, Heraclius dodged. Yeah. Slipped, fell off the bridge, but caught the rope oh. just in time. Yeah. The giant does a big ho, ho, ho laugh because yeah. he's a big giant of a man, takes another big swing, but chops the rope that's holding the bridge, not Heraclius. Because the rope kind of swings a bit, Heraclius uses the momentum to swing himself up. The chopped rope means that one of the boards is loosened, and the sheer weight of the giant means that that board collapses. The giant starts falling in. Heraclius, by this point, has swung himself up, kicks the giant in the face. The giant falls to his death. Beautiful. That's what I'm going to say happened. Yeah, that is exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. Oh, I love history. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit more to the quote. When he fell, as in the big giant, the barbarians turned in flight and threw themselves into the river like frogs. <laughs> Rip it. <laughs> Rip. Rip. <laughs> so that's not just the giant. There's a whole bunch of uh, soldiers behind the giants. And once Heraclius defeats the giants, they, they, no. all, they all start running. Yeah. So that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Heraclius then continues across the bridge. This is a big bridge, apparently. <laughs> the Persians, by this point, are firing arrows at him, but he doesn't care. He's continuing. Bouncing off the thing. Toing, toing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He fights several more men with a small group of guards who have caught up with him. So they're still fighting their way across this bridge, yeah. arrows raining down on them. Shavaraz is on a hill nearby watching this, and... He turns to the person next to him, a Roman deserter, Mm. and said, and I quote, Look at the Caesar, how boldly he stands in battle, struggling alone against the multitude. Like an anvil, he spurns the blows. Oh. Yeah. Chavarez is very impressed. He can recognise the emperor, apparently, because he's got bright red boots on. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is nice. Like Doc Martens. Yeah. The sign of an emperor. This goes way back to, like, Julius Caesar's days. Do you remember he got in trouble for wearing red boots once? Because people thought he wanted to make himself king? Vaguely. I can't even remember if I included that in the episode. Maybe Probably I did. Didn't. It sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Is that why the Pope wears red shoes? Oh, um, I don't know, but quite possibly, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Pontifex, let us know. Anyway, because of the emperor's Herculean efforts, <laughs> the bridge is taken so the Romans are able to reinforce their vanguard. Fighting continues for the rest of the day, and then both armies retreat. Yes, the Romans had lost more than they could really afford, but they hadn't been wiped out, and morale remained high. Oh, this is good. Meanwhile, a furious Cosro starts a new plan. He was getting frustrated. He's not able to squash this last Roman force. So all he needs to do, and they just won't die. So instead, he would force them to retreat by attacking the capital of Heraclius's empire. Constantinople. Oh, yes. Not only that, but he gets some friends to help out. Letters were sent to the Kagan of the Avars. <gasps> no, not the Avars. Oh, yes. Don't sell out, guys. Don't. 
<laughs> Selling out implies that they were in any way genuine at any point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so Heraclius has a difficult decision here. This is where you can play what would you do? No idea. So you hear that the Persians and the Avars are thinking of attacking the capital. Right. Do you retreat and defend your capital or do you stay where you are? Now, if you retreat to defend the capital, you have just lost all the hard work you've put in. Yeah. You've been campaigning for a couple of years now, and you will have lost all advances you've made. Equally, if you don't defend the capital and it falls, well, that's it. Goodbye, Empire. I would stay where I am. Constantinople's got massive walls. I think it's well defended. Yeah, that's pretty close. That's pretty much what he does. But he does something slightly different, actually. He splits his force into three. Or I'd split my force into three. Send a smaller one back to Constantinople. Yeah. Keep one where I am and send maybe one ahead or one to the side, like to... Avars! (laughs) Sort out the Avars. Not quite. You were closer just before... The first part he sends back to the capital, just like you said, a small detachment to help reinforce the walls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're going to go back to the capital, defend from the Avars and Shavaraz. Shavaraz is the Persian general who's been told to go and take the capital. The second part he sent to harass Shahir. Shahir, remember, is the other Persian general. Yeah. Uh, Keep him busy, basically. Now, this detachment, the second detachment, was led by Heraclius's brother, Theodore. Right. Finally, Heraclius leaves some forces with him, keep them in reserve, hoping to take advantage of the fact that Persia itself would soon be emptied of troops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just, just stay on the sidelines and just see what's going to happen, basically. It's like when Frodo and Sam are about to put the ring into the volcano, and they're, in, they're at Mordor, yeah. and they see the army leave because they need to go and attack exactly. Aragorn's army outside. Yeah, a bit like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where's the volcano? <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. Anyway, realising that not coming back may not look great for his subjects in the capital, Heraclius decides to send a letter to the Patriarch Sergius and the Praetorian Prefect Bonassius. The letter essentially says, and I'm paraphrasing here slightly, get everyone who can pick up a shovel to reinforce the walls, repair all the sections that are looking a bit worse for wear, and get ready to strap in. <laughs> the city cannot fall. Fair point. Now, I'm guessing it was written slightly better than this because this was uh, nailed up into the Hagia Sophia and on yeah. the walls and stuff. So it probably sounded a bit more rousing than that. Yeah. But essentially the message was, we cannot lose the city. No. Do whatever you can. The Avars were advancing with their siege engines coming closer and closer to the city. Shavaraz had reached Chalcedon. Remember, Chalcedon yeah. is still under Persian control. So just across the Bosphorus, the strip of water is the Persian army. The war drums are banking. Dun, 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 dun. If this is the film The Two Towers, this is just as the uh, the troops of Isengard are advancing on Helmsteep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cut to Heraclius. He's made contact with a Hunnish tribe called the Khazars. In exchange for Heraclius's daughter's hand in marriage, the leader of the Khazars pledged 40,000 men. That's a good number. Yeah, apparently Heraclius had a, a small painting of his daughter to show the leader, and the leader went, yeah, all right, then you can have 40,000 men. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> yeah. So Heraclius now had a force that he could actually use. It was no longer a tiny, small detachment. Yeah. He, he had some numbers with him. Okay, cut then further south to Theodore, Heraclius's brother. He had met Shahin, 
who he was told to keep busy. The idea is keep manoeuvring around, make yeah. sure Shahin can't really stop Heraclius and can't go and help with the invasion of Constantinople. Just keep him busy. Theodore does one better. Now, if we can believe the sources here, which we can't, the, <laughs> the two sides meet in battle during a raging hailstorm that was flying into the face of the Persians. Of course. Shahin was utterly routed, and so ashamed by his defeat... He fell on his sword. Oh dear. Yeah, which is a horrible lesson to have. Cosro, back in Persia, hears this news and became outraged. He ordered that Shahin's body be returned to him preserved in salt, so that when it reached him, he could whip the body. Uh. Yeah. Apparently the body was no longer recognisable once Cosro was finished, and those around the King of Kings started to fear for his sanity slightly. Yeah. Cosro's starting to go off the deep end slightly here. I swear a few minutes ago he clucked like a chicken. (laughs) Yeah. But you don't want to know about this. Cut back to the capital. Yes. The war drums are still going. By this point, the city is completely surrounded. I say completely surrounded. You can only surround Constantinople from the west. Yeah. But the Theodosian walls are now all that stand between the citizens of Constantinople and tens of thousands of angry Avars. Those that lived outside the walls had collected all they could and fled inside the capital before the gates could close. Yeah. The Avars had dug in outside the walls and made protective screens to shield themselves from arrows. Now, across the Bosphorus was Shavaraz and the Persians. They weren't involved in the siege at this point, but they were ready to be called upon. The Kargan of the Avars then announced that the Romans had but one chance. Pay them a huge sum of money, or they would raise the city. Sergius and Bernassius replied something along the lines of, Come on, then, if you think you're hard enough. Oh. And so the siege begins. But it ruffled their feathers. Oh, yes, it did. The Theodosian walls are finally fully tested for the first time. 12,000 Roman soldiers defended against a force of possibly about 80,000. Wow. Sergius made daily patrols of the defences. Day and night, catapults hurled rocks against the walls. But the walls held... If you remember from Theodosius II's episode, where we looked at these walls in a bit more detail, mm. this wall is less of a wall and more a series of elevated fortifications that became increasingly thick. Yeah. Uh, they, they aren't just single walls. They're almost hills that have been bricked over and yeah, made yeah. very rectangular-shaped. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't just knock it over with a big rock. It just <laughs> isn't going to work. So the he- heat of July and the movement of so many people turned the air to dust. By night, the glow of the signal fires between the Avars and the Persians filled the air. After a couple of days of non-stop fighting, a message was sent. The Avars were willing to talk favourable terms without the Persians. Ooh. Yeah. Benassius, the Praetorian prefect, went forth. Because it was a siege and you don't just go, you go forth. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, so he went forth to talk to the sieging forces. Without the Persians, you say. Interesting. However, he was outraged when he got to the negotiation tent. There were three Persian officials sitting there. Bernassius was forced to stand, which is just mean. Yeah. An argument soon broke out. (laughs) Where's my bloody chair? Yeah, he's a stool. Come on, (laughs) guys. Bernassius made it very clear that the Romans would never surrender. He then stormed out back to the city. Negotiations did not go well. Didn't work, okay. No. 
However, very aware that the three Persian officials would very likely make their way back to Shavaraz soon rather than later, Panasius and Sergius had men on the lookout for these envoys attempting to cross the Bosphorus and back to Chalcedon. Sure enough, the boat was spotted and caught. Ooh. One of the Persian officials was found under a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> hide, hide, hide. Yeah, he should have been scared because he was beheaded on the spot. Oh, dear. The second had his hands chopped off and sent to the Avar leader. Nice. That's what we think of you not giving us a chair. Did they send them back with, like, a middle finger up as well? Probably. <laughs> Just nailed to his chest. Yeah. <laughs> the third was rowed towards Chalcedon. He was asked questions along the way. What was he? Oh, yes. A few nice questions. A few queries. What's your quandaries? Going anywhere nice on your holidays this year? Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favourite colour? How much does this hurt? (laughs) Things like that. This hurt more than this? (laughs) Now, when just offshore, in full sight of the Persian camp, this third envoy was beheaded. Oh. His head was then thrown ashore with a message, and I quote, We and the Kargan are reconciled. He has taken charge of the first two of your ambassadors. As for the third, here he is. That's a lot to carve into his forehead, isn't it? It was, but they managed it. It was uh, detailed. It was really good. So, yeah, they just outright lie to the Persians. We still have your... Well, yeah, they're just saying that the Avars have turned against you. Just to... Oh, nice. Yeah, sow seeds of uh, discontent. Division. Division, yes. Unfortunately, this doesn't work. The Avars and the Persians clearly have a good method of communication because the Persians don't fall for this. However, several days later, the Avars and the Slavs made a coordinated attack, which involved picking up Persian troops and sailing down the Golden Horn. Golden Horn is the uh, the water just north of the city, right. not an actual horn. Uh, uh. But yeah, essentially a river leading out to the sea. Okay. A wide river, though. Not a massive elephant. Not a massive elephant, no. Okay. So the plan is that they are going to sail down the Golden Horn and attack the seawalls of the city. They're going to pick up some Persians on the way. Right. That's the plan. However, this attack falls apart because the signal fire that started the attack went off very early. The Slavs weren't expecting it for several hours, but there were the fires we'd best go. It turned out that Bernasius had found out about the attacks, probably from the Persian official who was being asked those questions, <laughs> and had ships waiting in key positions. He was able to set the signal fire himself, so the rafts found themselves surrounded by warships. Ah. Yeah. It only took an hour for the fleet of rafts to be utterly destroyed. Yeah. These were little manoeuvrable rafts against actual warships. Yeah, Yeah, it it wasn't hard to win that (laughs) one. By this point, the Avars had had enough. I mean, the walls were just too strong. They couldn't get anywhere with them. Their attempt to attack by sea had utterly failed. Air, by air. Well, you'd think that's what they'd go for next, but um, those that had bravely gone on catapult duty... Yeah. uh, They'd succeeded on getting over the walls. It was the um, surviving much longer that was causing a problem, I think. Ended up as a splat. Yeah. (laughs) I made it, sup! Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Next. (laughs) Um. (laughs) So you've got a huge army of demoralised Avars. Yeah. And then news comes through of Shahim's defeat. The Avars start packing up. The leader very angrily announcing that they would be back. We will be back. But in a kind of, we probably won't be back. Yeah, some point in a few hundred years. 
Maybe. So there you go. Our first major siege of Constantinople. Yeah. A huge success for the Romans. Yeah. So, with news of this reaching Heraclius, he decided it's time to go for the jugular. He set off his forces towards the Persian palace of Dazdegerd, which is only 20 miles north of Tessaphon. This is where Cosro lived. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. To take the enemy by surprise, he decided to move in winter. Now, this is a dangerous move still. There was still a sizable army in Persia being led by a general called Rizates. Heraclius had to make sure he wasn't caught off guard. It's still true that if he loses his troops, then it's pretty much over for the Roman Empire. This is still last-ditch effort kind of things, even though things are going well. The army of Heraclius and Rizates circle each other for a while. After all, this was clearly going to be a decisive battle when they finally meet. It had got to the point where neither side could afford to lose. So whoever won this one has probably won the war. And this is when Heraclius suffered a blow. Because the Khazars, remember we've got a whole bunch of Khazars with them. Yeah, their leader dies. And the Khazars all go, yeah, we don't need to stay anymore. And they leave. They didn't like the fact they were fighting in winter. It's not what you're supposed to do. Too cold. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a bit of a blow. The Roman troops' morale started to waver as they watched a large portion of their army walk away. What about the daughter thing? Well, the, their leader's dead, so oh, that's course, not yeah. going to work anymore. Uh, yeah. Heraclius, realising that he needed to really pull something out of the bag here, gave a speech. Brothers, you know that no one wants to ally with us except God, and she who bore him without semen. At that point, I can only imagine all of the troops just went, Ew. That's gross. Call her the Virgin Mother. Don't need to bring uh, semen into it, sir. Uh, <laughs> no, literally, no one refers to her that way. Why, are you? Why, sir? What's why? wrong with you, sir? <laughs> she who has never been parted in the loins. <laughs> <laughs> Say it how you want. Just don't use the S word. <laughs> we all know it's part of the process, but come on. <laughs> yes, Jeff. That's how you are. <laughs> just looking quite shocked (laughs) yeah i I don't know whether this is just this particular translation i found (laughs) but i've certainly never heard of the virgin mary being referred to as she who bore him without semen before (laughs) (laughs) anyway after everyone stops going the speech (laughs) continued this is so he god can reveal his power Since salvation does not lie in the masses of men or arms, rather, he sends down his aid to those who believe in his mercy. So, apparently, this this rallied the troops a bit. We've got God on our side. He'd clearly uh, been working on the whole, we are God's troops, and this, this actually worked. Yeah. So, his, his men are more, more infused. They're ready to do this. Yeah. Come on! So, on the 12th of December, the two armies meet. Small reality check here. The following did not happen, but it happened. Okay. (laughs) The two sides line up. Everyone is very aware that this is probably the deciding battle of a war that had been going on for decades by this point. Mm. If you consider the war starting in Maurice's reign. Yeah. Yeah. A group of Persian officers came out in front, heading towards the Roman lines. And I quote, The emperor sprang ahead of everyone to meet the Persian officer. By the power of God and his mother, he overthrew him. He met another and overthrew him too. A third man who struck him with a spear and wounded his lip attacked him. But the emperor killed him as well. So in the middle of these two armies that are lining up ready to fight a battle, you've got the emperor 
fighting three Persian officers at once. In essentially a royal rumble. Yeah. Okay. And he manages to kill all three of them. Now, according to Theophanes... Uh, who's uh, writing 200 years later and using the um, the poet that I mentioned earlier yeah. as his main source. It's at this point that the trumpets sound and the battle really begins. Okay. So that was just like a little little teaser. A pre-fight. Yes. So you've just got Heraclius covered in blood in the middle, just screaming by this point. And the two armies just start running towards each other. And he's in the middle with Persian officers at his feet. So the fighting starts in earnest, and then halfway through the battle, Rosates, the Persian general, challenges Heraclius to one-on-one combat. I challenge you, sir, to a duel! The two men charge towards one another on horseback. I wonder who wins. (laughs) They met, and with an almighty thrust, Heraclius severed the Persian general's head from his body with one movement. There we go. The Persian general is killed. Fighting continues for the rest of the day, but as the sun is setting, the Romans realised that there was no one left to fight anymore. Mm. They had annihilated the Persian army. There we go, another Roman victory, with one-to-one combats between the leaders. Oh, dear. (laughs) The next day, they continued towards Dazdegerd. At one point, a messenger arrived to say that they had intercepted a Persian letter heading for Shavaraz who was still in Chalcedon. Right. It was from the King of Kings ordering his best general to get back as quick as you can, please. <laughs> Good. Hurry up. Could really do with you over here. Heraclius saw the opportunity and changed the letter to say that the Persians had just defeated Heraclius and Shavaraz, you can stay where you are for now. Nice. Yeah. Cosro, by this point, had fled his palace and headed towards Tessaphon. Meanwhile, Heraclius raises the Imperial Palace to the ground. Cosro has lost it. Not just the war, but... It. It. Yeah. He sent off another letter demanding that Shavaraz's officers arrest Shavaraz for treason. He then ordered all men, women and children to defend the walls of Tessaphon. He's getting increasingly desperate. Heraclius, realising that Cosro had lost all respect from his people, did not see the point in taking the old capital from the Persians and simply headed back to Roman territory. Bloody the nose, let the social discourse... Exactly. After all, Heraclius by this point had intercepted the letter that asked Shavaraz's forces to arrest him, and he was more than happy for that letter to be sent on. But he changed one thing. Instead of the letter being delivered to the officers, yeah. he gave it straight to Shavaraz. Right. Yeah. When it reaches the Persian general, he thought about it for a while, and then added a bunch of other names onto the letter, and then showed it to his officers. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, look, the king wants all of us dead. The army revolted and headed back towards Persia. Oh dear. Sure enough, it was not long after that Cosro was turned upon and thrown into, and I quote, the Tower of Darkness. Oh, that sounds fun. It's a big vault that Cosro had built to store yeah. all his money in, basically. One person said, let him eat his gold, see how valuable it is to him. Oh, yeah. poetic justice. They, they keep him alive for a few days. They force him to watch as they execute his family members. Oh. And then he is slowly shot with arrows to death. Which I wonder if slowly shot with arrows is like every five minutes a new arrow, or maybe the arrow is slowly shot. Or somebody runs with the arrow really Yeah, in slowly. slow motion. Stay there, stay there, hold it, let me press it in. Press and it just, in. just ease the arrow in, there, there we go. go. That's your foot. <laughs> Back in an hour for the next one. <laughs> yeah, not great. Not long afterwards, 
unsurprisingly, a peace treaty arrives where Heraclius is. Not on its own, it has an envoy attached to it. (laughs) (laughs) The Persians would give back all land conquered in the war. That is Syria, Mesopotamia, Palestine, Egypt. Everything would be returned to the Romans. All captives would be given back. And yes, you can have your cross back. Oh, it looks half of it. Yeah, it looks like a bit of wood. It doesn't look like a cross, but you can have it back. You clearly care for this bit of wood. Have it back. From the jaws of annihilation, the empire was saved. And if Heraclius had died the next year, he would have gone down as one of the best emperors of all time. Oh dear. Because his story's not over. No. no. Oh no. Well, he makes his way back to the capital. He waited outside the capital until the cross arrived. He wasn't just going to go in on his own. No. No, he was going to go back in with the true cross. The restorer of the cross Jesus was crucified upon. It looked good, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So then he enters the city. Once the cross gets there, huge celebrations were had by all. This must have been a great time to be in the capital. News starts coming through that the Persians were in a complete mess, which probably brought a smirk. To Heraclius's face. <laughs> Several king of kings were proclaimed in quick succession, including Shavaraz at one point. Hmm. Uh, but civil war was tearing them apart. They get through in just a matter of months, numerous leaders. Also, news comes through that uh, some Arabian barbarians under a new leader was giving the Persians quite a lot of trouble, taking advantage of the weakened state the empire was in. So Arabian? Yeah, yeah. There's... Um, down in the south, you've got the Arabian Peninsula, and um, there's quite a lot of them pushing up into the empire, seeing that the empire's weak. You've got a thoughtful look yeah. on your face. Is this... Well, we'll see, won't we? Ooh! The same raiders were also spilling into a Roman land a little bit. Uh, Heraclius sends a detachment off to deal with it. Not a huge deal. Yeah, <laughs> I've got bigger things to worry about. Small raiding party in the south. Anyway, he does not stay in the capital for long. He needed to take advantage of the weakness that the Persians were in and make sure that the land he had reclaimed was settled properly. So he toured the east, spending several years doing this. He appeared in as many towns and cities as he could to show that he was the emperor. Now remember, this this war had been going on for a long time. Many of the citizens in these cities were not even born when they'd gone over to the Persians. So he wanted to make sure that everyone was very clear, this is now Roman, as it should be. The Eastern Egypt needed reorganising, political institutions needed to be set up and populated. Now, if certain sources can be believed, the emperor received a letter from someone claiming to be a prophet about this time, something to do with converting to a new religion. If Heraclius ever saw the letter, he definitely would have discounted it. That's just, what's that? It's unlikely he ever saw this letter, though. He had bigger things to think about, because not only was he going to, to bring the empire back on its feet, he was determined to sort out the orthodox and monophysite mess Mm. once and for all. He figured with very good reason that the persecution of the Monophysites had made the East so much easier for the Persians to take. The split in the church made the empire weaker. Resentful Monophysites in the East were just less inclined to fight for the empire. If we can unify our church, we will be stronger. So he got Patriarch Sergius on the task to see if anything could be done here. Sergius spent a very long time scratching his head. I imagine him in his room with a blackboard, furiously scribbling, <laughs> checking all the things that had been tried before with yeah. the Heneticon and all those other things. 
going back a couple of hundred years now. Yeah. No one's really been able to figure this out. Surely there's a way through with this. He drinks a lot of coffee. Uh, yeah, oh gosh. A lot of late nights. Mm. He starts getting a bit of a manic twitch in one eye. It's... I claim that they are after him. <laughs> yes. It, it's tough work. Yeah. It's very tough work. Uh, I'd like to think that one day he met with Heraclius and just went, okay, right, right. What about this, right? Okay. <laughs> now, bear with me. I don't say no straight away. Right. Jesus has two separate natures. We all agree on that. Well, the monophysites don't agree with that. But let's just say that, right? And all the orthodox will agree. Two separate natures. But, now stay with me here. What if, right, he has one energy? point there's just silence in the room <laughs> yeah one one mono monophysites yeah one energy could we could we get behind this guys two natures one energy is this something we could all get behind any chance guys and he pulls out some crystals like energy crystals <laughs> use these as well use them all <laughs> and just keeps twitching and he's led calmly away yeah. put him in a dark room for a little while <laughs> let him rest <laughs> yeah monophysites just had to accept so all they had to do for this to work was accept that the unity in christ was one of energy and not of nature Heraclius was actually quite enthusiastic about this. Maybe this would work. So he keeps chipping away at this idea as he spends his time touring the East. Eventually, he had leading monophysites on board. Mm. Yeah, monophysites were actually going, you know what, now that you've just given me the Patriarch of Antioch job, um, I'm suddenly thinking that yeah. maybe you've got a point. And uh, what about you? Oh, yeah, now I'm the Patriarch of Alexandria all of a sudden. Um, yeah, maybe this could work. I that, yeah. yeah. And me, sir, with... With my pockets now full of gold, I... I can clearly see what you were trying yes. to say earlier. It makes complete sense. Yeah, several jobs were handed out to several people, and um, slowly but surely, it looked like some headway could be made here. But Heraclius soon learns that the argument between Orthodox and Monophysites had long since ceased to be about actual theology, yeah. or even semantics. The Orthodox hated the Monophysites because they were Monophysite, and the Monophysite hated the Orthodox because they were Orthodox. Yeah. It had just gone on for too long. The geographical split also obviously did not help. So Monophysite's leaders were starting to get on board. The bribery was helping, but the Orthodox leaders started to denounce the whole thing as thinly disguised Monophysitism, if that is the word. <laughs> so all this is going on, and this is taking several years to put into place. Tax yeah. reforms are being made political reforms are being made. Generally, he's trying to rebuild the empire, and he's doing a pretty good job at doing it. News then comes through of those Arabian raiders in Persia. Now, the Persians were really struggling to get a hold on things. The civil war they had going on meant they really couldn't fight back, and news starts coming through of a general that the Arabians had, who was pretty damn good, actually. He seems to be doing very well against the Persians. Yeah. His name was Khalid ibn Awalit, or the Sword of God. Or perhaps that name was given to him later, but it's a cool name, so let's give it to him now. Yeah. Khalid was a very good general, and he was slicing through Persia. <laughs> he was soon gaining a reputation as being one of the best generals of the era. Heraclius may have been amused by this. <laughs> Look at the Persians. <laughs> They're falling apart. Karma. Or maybe he was alarmed at the fact that the Persians had just lost a large portion of their empire to this general in just a couple of years. 
Mm, I, I think more sort of, yeah, kind of, uh, ha, 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 but also, hmm, I need to keep my eye on them. Yeah, I get the feeling it probably started with amusement and then as every day went by and more news of uh, these Arabian conquests came through, the more he was going, hmm, maybe keep an eye on that. Eventually, news comes through that Khalid was marching on Tessaphon itself. He was about to take the Persian capital. Meanwhile, more important to Heraclius, another Arabian tribe was harassing the lands down in the Palestine region. Well, that's a problem, so he sent some troops down to deal with that. Heraclius was shocked, therefore, when the next report came in from Roger. Hello, sir. Good news. Not out, for you. <laughs> out of the Syrian desert, which was widely seen as completely impassable. No army could get through that. Mm. And suddenly, out of the Syrian desert, Khalid appeared. He wasn't marching on Tessaphon. He was coming here. Oh. Yes. It turned out that he was supporting this other Arabian tribe that were in the region. It turned out they were all together. Ah. Heraclius scrambled for information. It turned out that this Khalid was, in fact, not in charge. He was just a general working for a man named Abu Bakr. Now, we don't know how much Heraclius had to quickly gen up on the history of the Arabian Peninsula, or whether he already had half an eye on this already, but that seems unlikely. He probably had to very quickly work out mm. what was going on here. Reports would have come to him that the Arabian raiders were unified under some form of Judaism or maybe some kind of Christian sect. It was hard to tell. They believed in God, but they also believed that a prophet had recently led them. And in fact, this Abu Bakr chap was apparently the father-in-law to the prophet. This prophet was a man named Muhammad. Now, while Heraclius and Khosrow had been fighting their war, this prophet Muhammad had been very busy fighting and unifying many of the tribes in Arabia. He had taken the city-states of Medina and then Mecca under his control and then started expanding outwards. Will never last. <laughs> the general Khalid had worked for him, and now Muhammad was dead, he was working for his successor, Abu Bakr. So realising that this threat was slightly bigger than he first thought, Heraclius started to react. He began raising his troops once more. And that's when the news came through. The Arabians had completely wiped out the small number of forces that were in the area. Khalid had then taken Damascus, Emesa, and was now sieging Jerusalem. Oh. They didn't waste time whatsoever. A sudden explosion of force from an unexpected direction like this had not been seen since Attila the Hun's time. Yeah. Heraclius scrambles to react. He soon had 80,000 men near Antioch. He's not going to mess about with this. This looks serious. Now, by this time, Heraclius, I'd like to think, would have learnt a bit more about this new threat. Yeah. They claimed that this Muhammad was the last prophet, a list that included Jesus, but Jesus was not God, which was odd, because that meant that they were neither Jews or Christians, that you can't believe in Jesus and be Jewish, and if he's not God, then you're not Christian. So this appeared to be something new. The Arabian raiders were followers of what they called Islam which appeared to be a whole new religion. Islam. Yes, you might want to make a note of that. That comes up again. Now, it should be noted that this wouldn't have been seen as particularly unusual. Well, I mean, we've seen in this podcast yeah. variations of other monotheisms yeah. springing up and then disappearing in our series. As I'm sure this one will. <laughs> All of them borrowed aspects of each other. So Heraclius wouldn't have been going, oh, this is the rise of a world religion. Hmm. I'm sure it would have been 
far more comparable to the rise of Attila the Hun. This is yeah. a bunch of barbarians coming from nowhere and doing incredibly well. Yeah. But because of that, they possibly underestimated the Arabian raiders. Now, the tribes of the Arabian Peninsula had lived in harsh nomadic conditions for generations in areas that most people in the world would really struggle to live in. Mm. When they did fight, they mostly had fought each other. And now they were unified. They were able to focus their considerable fighting ability outwards and fought in a style that the Romans and the Persians simply were not used to. For example, Khalid had managed to suddenly arrive in the Roman Empire by coming through the Syrian desert. Which, imagine at the time, they're going, what the? That's not even possible. Yeah, exactly. This it's like the one-minute mile thing. Yeah, this would have been seen as impossible. No one was expecting this to happen. So how Khalid managed to do this? Well, he had starved all his camels for three days. He had then let them drink. Ah... Uh... Then, with the very full camels, they'd set off. They ran out of water after a couple of days, so they start butchering the camels to remove the water. Meat and water. Exactly. This is simply not something that would have occurred to the Romans. They're not used to fighting in these desert conditions. But they knew the camels. Yeah, exactly. It's the local animal. This is an example of tactics that the Arabian fighters had that the Roman fighters did not. It's like an army of Aragorns, isn't it? Yes. So the tactics that Heraclius had painstakingly developed in the war against Cosro, all that training, it wasn't useless, but it wasn't as effective as it would have been against Persians. It's effective against the people that already know about it because they're doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. You just have to be better at it. Yeah. (laughs) Still, all of this would have been unknown by Heraclius at this point. He just knew that there was some kind of barbarian invasion and he needed to go and put it down. Yes, it was looking serious, but they just defeated the Persian Empire. How hard can this be? (laughs) So he starts marching south with his considerable forces. Khalid, the Muslim general, realises we can't take this force on and retreats. He backed off enough that the Roman forces stopped and the two sides kind of wait to see what's going to happen next. Eye each other up. Yeah. Meanwhile, the blazing heat of the summer was bearing down on them. They are in the region of modern Israel, Jordan. Oh, yeah. Ooh. It's hot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the Arabian troops are a lot more used to this. Yeah. Now, Khalid sends for reinforcements and in the meantime uses smash and grab tactics to disturb the supply lines of the Romans. Eventually, the battle starts. This is a six-day event. If we can believe the sources. Generally, the Romans have the upper hand. Really? Well, they outnumber. Oh, of course. Vastly outnumber. Uh, So (laughs) they should have the upper hand. However, and we simply don't have time to go into all the details, but Khalid is a very good general and is able to manoeuvre his troops in a way that the Romans never really managed to get a good enough handle on the situation to annihilate their enemy. Eventually, the reinforcements arrive. Now, sources are confused. This might be this battle, but it might be another battle against the Persians. But apparently, a sandstorm then kicks up. Khalid realises that this is his chance and attacks. The Romans are completely taken by surprise and start retreating as quickly as they can, but then realise someone's cut all the bridges to the rear of them. Oh, oh dear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They are massacred. That last Roman army that the Romans had, that they needed, have just been wiped out. That's, That's a problem. That is. 
Heraclius wasn't actually with the troops. He's quite ill at this point, so he wasn't in the front line. So he is able to swing by Jerusalem, grab the cross, and then get out of there. (laughs) Single-handedly on a horse. (laughs) He just rides in. The Patriarch of Jerusalem's there. (gasps) Emperor, you're here! What what are you doing? (laughs) No, sir, no! Give me me back the cross! Oh, God! How dare you? Yeah, he wasn't going to lose it again. He's already lost the cross once. (laughs) He's taken that with him, damn it. So he heads up north. Now, without any defence, Emesa Damascus were retaken immediately. Mm. Jerusalem is sieged once more. And this time it really did not stand for long. The Patriarch of Jerusalem surrendered the city on the condition that the leader of the Arabs take his surrender in person. Abu Bakr had actually died by this point. His reign did not last very long. He'd been succeeded by a man named Omar. This obviously proving that this isn't like Attila and the Huns. Mm. They can get new leaders and the whole thing will keep going because obviously... Yeah, because obviously they believe in Muhammad, the prophet. Yeah. They, they've got that continuity. This new religion is establishing itself quickly as a way for them to continue. It's not going to fall apart like it did. And every time they win, it reinforces that as well. Yeah, and they're winning a lot at the moment. So the caliph, which means successor, Omar, entered the city riding a white camel and peasant's robes to show that he was pious. He didn't need material things. The Patriarch of Jerusalem greeted Omar and gave him a tour of the holy sites of the city. It's all, all very civil. So he's kind of holding up an umbrella so he knows where to go and just leading them all around the entire army. Yeah. And on your left, <laughs> we have the Wailing Wall. Yes, and just there is where the Holy Cross used to be. Someone took it. Yeah. Omar reassured the Patriarch that the Christians and the Jews of the city, those that were still alive after all the mayhem recently, had nothing to fear whatsoever. After all, Jews and Christians were of the book, as they said. They well, believed in the correct God. Yeah, we're all Abrahamic religions here. Yeah, exactly. You, you believe in the correct God, you just haven't yet seen the truth that Muhammad is the last prophet. So you, you'll get there eventually, guys. Don't need to worry. You re- practice your religions all you want. You'll convert one day. That was generally the attitude. That's nice. Yeah. uh, They just hadn't become true submitted to God yet. Yes. Or, to use the Arabic word for submitter, Muslim. Oh. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway, Omar, to prove his point at this time, that he's not some horrible tyrant, refused to pray in the church. As they were doing the tour, uh, a call for prayer was sounded. Omar said, I won't pray inside the church because then everyone will think that this is a Islamic place of worship. Hmm. I'll go outside and pray outside and the Christians can come inside. That's nice. Which is very nice. And there is a mosque just outside that church to this very day. Wow. Yes. So, essentially, the city was treated very well. Yeah. So well, in fact, that many Monophysite Christians and Jews started thinking things along the lines of, how is it that this new religion that's come and taken over is actually treating us better than those orthodox Christians in Constantinople do. <laughs> Maybe this isn't such a bad thing after all. Heraclius's fears were coming true. He'd foreseen this. Well, he'd seen it with the Persians. Yeah. The split in the church made the East weak. Yeah. But the orthodox had done nothing but try and bury their religions for decades now. So 
why should we fight for our lives just for the Orthodox Church in Constantinople? Good question. If the Muslims are going to let us practice our religion, then welcome our new overlords. <laughs> Meanwhile, Heraclius had almost made it home. Those with him were starting to get a little bit worried. The emperor had been failing in health a lot recently and now also seemed to be losing it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. He had developed such a fear of the sea that he refused to sail the tiny strip of sea that was the Bosphorus oh. to get back home. So just so you're really clear, I've actually got an aerial picture of the Bosphorus here okay. so you can see how small this strip of sea is. This is a photograph from the north looking south. Right. This little jutty out bit is the yeah. ancient city of Constantinople. Right. That's where yeah, they Yeah, you can been. see Istanbul at the moment. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's big, but that part... Is Constantinople. Right. So here on the right, because we're looking north to south, is Europe, yeah. and on the left is Asia. Yeah, yeah. And that tiny strip of sea is all that, that separates them. Really? That is it. Okay. And that's what Heraclius refused to cross. You can walk across that in about a minute. It's it's really not big. You could build bridges. They do. They haven't each... at this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> but bridges have been built since. So, yeah, it's really small. And he just refused to cross it. He was terrified yeah. of the sea. So he sends his sons over the, the strait to represent him as he became more and more reclusive. He heard then of a plot to overthrow him by his nephew and one of his illegitimate sons. Yeah. Now, we don't know how real the plot was, but Heraclius thought it was real. So he had their hands cut off and their noses before banishing them. His nephew, obviously not in a good state, arrived on an island that he'd been banished to, only to find the governor of the island there waiting for him with a letter in his hand. And he couldn't even hold it. (laughs) Well, no, don't worry. The letter was for the governor, not, not for the nephew. Apparently Heraclius had sent the letter that had just arrived. The nephew was to have a foot removed as well. Oh... Could you imagine? You've gone through the agony of having your hands chopped off, your nose chopped off. And he's got a cold, so it's basically even yeah. worse. You arrive on this island, your life is just going to be miserable from now on. You get there. Oh, and now we're going to take the foot. I'm terribly sorry, sir. <laughs> um, we need to remove the old limb. Please <laughs> just sit upon this chair. Yeah, not good. Anyway, eventually someone figured out a way to get the emperor across the water. If we can believe Theophanes, which... Again, we can't. But uh, a bridge of boats was put together and lined with bushes, so it seemed to Heraclius that he was simply riding down a road. That's quite funny. Yeah. They paid some farmers to send another boat at the side to look like it, you know, it's an old cow floating past. Yeah, them. they just put various farm animals on rafts. Yeah. <laughs> just bobbing in the water. <laughs> so he enters the capital in a very different way to the way he did before. Instead of cheering, I imagine everyone was just shuffling their feet a bit, looking embarrassed. Heraclius clearly was not the man who had left. Rumours that God had abandoned him soon spread. After all, had he not married his niece? Yeah. He shouldn't have done it. Nope. Still, in the palace, Heraclius was met by the patriarch Sergius. Sergius, still twitching slightly, had been working on the monophysite problem still. He hadn't given up. No. He's going to crack it, damn it. He really is. Right. And he, he settled the, the emperor yeah. down. I've got this. I've got this. Right. Now, bear with me here. Right. Okay. You forget the energy thing. That was nonsense. That was clearly yeah. ridiculous. It was never going to fly. But what about this? Right. Christ has two natures. Yeah. But, but nothing to do with energy. What if he had, right, a single will? was the reaction, I'm guessing. (laughs) Heraclius, 
not in a good state. No. Went, fine, give it a go. Maybe this would be it. At last, an idea that unified the church and strengthened the empire. Maybe he could do one last good deed before he died. The proclamation was put up in the Hagia Sophia. Heraclius, by this point, could barely move. He was suffering from dropsy. He was clearly not long for this world. He just hoped for one piece of good news before (laughs) passing away. (laughs) Then Roger turns up. Ah, hello, sir. Two letters today. (laughs) Do you want the bad news or the bad news? First of all, the Pope from Rome had suddenly decided to get involved in the whole single will debate. The Pope had indicated he didn't care one way or the other with Sergius's whole attempt to unify the church. Yeah. But right at the end, he came along and said, no, you're just trying to create monophysitism. Oh, dear. Yeah. It just killed the whole thing dead. Yeah, it's going to, isn't it? Because he's like the head of everything. Yeah. Heraclius had just enough energy to declare that the whole single will thing was nothing to do with him. It was all Sergius's idea. Yeah. And just as he was drifting into oblivion, I'd like to think the very last thing he heard was Roger reading the words. The Arabian raiders, they've reached Alexandria. Egypt is falling. Oh, dear. Heraclius dies. Oh. That is the story of Heraclius. Bit of a roller coaster of emotions there for him. Oh, yes. That's why it's a longer episode. A lot yeah. happens. That's crammed. Yeah. Something we hadn't got time to go into, but the Persian Empire falls within two years of his death. Mm. So that was the last war between the Persians and the Romans. We see the rise of a world religion. Yeah. A lot happens in his reign. It does. So let's rate him. Fighting Maximus. Okay, as is becoming increasingly usual, we don't have any more details than really even I've said in the episode, so let's go over the highlights here. He managed to take Constantinople in a military coup that was seen by most as liberation. That's impressive in itself. Yeah, well, the, well, it's, I think it's hard as how bad focus was, to be honest. Yeah, true, but... Still, some fighty points. He took the city. He spent a while reforming the armies and actually trained them up. Really well. Yeah. You you just really get the feeling that that summer spent training is what won it for the Romans. Yeah. They were no longer a ragtag bunch of farmers. They were an official fighting force. Yeah. Professional soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. He personally led armies into battle. We've, We've not seen this for episodes. No. Yeah, so you're getting huge points there. He won at least four major confrontations and countless skirmishes against a very strong enemy. Whilst outnumbered most of the time and with an army that, if they lost, all would have been over. It's a high-stakes game, isn't it? Oh, yes. And he kept winning. Now, he wasn't there, but the capital was sieged and survived. And because of Heraclius's plan, he was able to take advantage of the Persian defeat. So that's also impressive. And he won the war. Not just the battles, he won the war. The very last war with the Persians. Yeah, and um, never a problem again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, of course, we then have the nice details. Which obviously didn't happen, but I don't care. Because most emperors don't get any details, so we're sharing them. He fought a giant on a bridge. He did, yeah. He did. He then carried on fighting on the bridge, defeating everyone else and throwing them off. He fought a Persian general one-on-one and decapitated him with one sword thrust and took on three Persian officers whilst the rest of the army were just watching. Unfortunately, they were just clerks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's why it's so easy. (laughs) 
their briefcases and everything. They'd come along to offer a peace deal. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Reckless wasn't having any of that. <laughs> so, I mean, that is just insanely good. Well, what stands out more with him was with any battle, his strategy, like even mm. with the defence of Constantinople, even though he wasn't there, the idea of, you know, luring people into traps with the ships and things. And... Yeah, he was tactical, wasn't he? Yes. He managed to outthink the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. He lost against the Muslim invaders. To be fair, he also lost his style against the Persian invaders as well. He had to win them back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he lost, lost twice. <laughs> he lost a large chunk of the army, but he was very ill at that point. This is at the end of his reign. He wasn't well. He wasn't able to lead the forces himself. Yeah. And he was fighting against a very tough opponent. And the empire was in bits when he took over it. Oh, yeah. He uh, reformed it to a, an empire again. Yeah, which we'll discuss more in successors Ultimus, but just generally but fighting. fighting. And that's, that's very yeah. important. It's it's just incredibly good. Yeah. It's last-ditch last, last ditch effort yeah. stuff. I'm very impressed. I, I don't think I can give him any less than a 9. Yeah, I'm hovering between 9 and 10. I don't even 10, because he did lose his stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. Time. I think I do need to take that one point, which is a shame, because it's so impressive. Yeah. I don't think I have been quite as impressed by the fighty ability of an empire as much as this yeah. since Aurelian. Yeah. 9. There you go. That's 18 for Phidias Maximus. Approvium Crazium. He married his niece. Yeah, he did. Uh, and seemed to do so very quickly after his wife died. Which seems to me like he planned it all along. It's like, I love my wife, but, ooh, my niece. <laughs> oh, it's not right. <laughs> um, well, this was commented upon when Claudius did it way back in the early days yes. of the Empire. He changed the Lord, didn't he? Yeah, pe- people weren't happy back then. Now the Empire's fully Christian. This was seen as outrageous. As I said earlier, if it was not for the fact that everyone realised that Heraclius was their last hope, he would never have got away with this. Mm. So, yeah, there's that. Um, he cut off the nose of his nephew and his son. <laughs> yes, also the hands and the feet, but the reason why I'm highlighting the nose here is this is the first recorded case of the Romans doing this. Oh, really? Yeah, this is purposeful mutilation to ensure that a person could not rise to power again. The hands and the feet was punishment, but the nose was symbolic. You cannot become the emperor because you're mutilated. It's like uh, instances in the Second World War of people uh, captured Nazis having swastikas engraved into their foreheads. Similar thing. Yeah, yeah. The fact that Heraclius does this sets a precedent. Believe Mm -hmm. me, we are going to be seeing a lot more of nose cutting and over mutilation from this point on. There becomes a bit of a, a culture of mutilation and it starts here nice yeah so he sets all that off and then he he goes a little bit insane towards the end he was terrified of the sea and had a bridge built that's just reminding me of caligula that is (laughs) now in a slightly different way how likely this bridge story is to be true it's probably not some historians theorize that it was just a boat with bushes on (laughs) that sailed across we don't really know but it would appear that he was losing it slightly at the end Old age, though. For good sane, well, he was very sane for most of his rule. He was able to rule very, very well for mm. almost all of it. Um, but he certainly picked up some points there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, th- I think the fact he married his niece, that's going to be at least three or four for that. Yeah. Cutting off noses, another one or two. Yeah. He got a bit mad for it. I think a healthy six, I think it's unreasonable. Five yeah. Six. I'm going for six. No, I'll go for six as well. I'm, I'm impressed. 
Uh, well, maybe impressed is the wrong word, but he's he's got some stories there. He's got three good bits of crazy yeah. and a couple of points for each one. Yeah, I'm going to go for it. Six. That's 12. He's racking up the points. Success ultimate. Right, so this is an interesting one. Yeah, because there's a lot of success and a lot of not. Yeah, um... As has been mentioned by many historians, if he had died after the Persian War, he really would have been considered one of the best ever emperors. And the successor would have dealt with all the rubbish that happened yeah. after. Which isn't fair, which proves that it's down to context rather than perhaps individual. Yeah, yeah, of course, but we don't care about things like that in no, this podcast. We're, we're very black and white here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's try and break this down slightly. When he took over the empire, it was on its knees. Sections of the empire had been in trouble before, but never had the empire faced genuine annihilation. This really was the end of the Roman Empire. That end was visible. It's the end of days. And he turned that around. He did. He managed to, within his reign, restore the empire to pretty much how it had been, if not better, under Maurice. That's very impressive. Not only that, but whilst doing it, he completely reformed the army, the tax system, the various administrative systems that were in place and made the empire just work a lot more smoothly. Yeah, ticks on, get rid of all the chaff. Yeah, and because of this, the empire was actually making money, okay, albeit through the church in places, but <laughs> that worked. The empire was mostly united when it needed to be. So that is all hugely impressive. He defeated the Persians. They're, they've gone. Yeah. Admittedly, it's not the Romans that wiped them out in the end. Catalyst, though. But yeah, definitely a catalyst. And also, um, the most important that he would have seen, although possibly less important to the modern audience, is he restored the true cross. I mean, that would have been a huge deal. Yeah. So, I mean, all that is really, really, really quite impressive. But then, of course, we've also got the fact that some of his gains were lost before the end. Although not all of them. No. Certainly not all of them. They're still in a better position now than they were at the start of his rule. Definitely. It was a net gain. He lost the land that they had in Spain... The Goths took that back, oh. and uh, no one had the time to really notice. <laughs> Sp- where? Who's, uh... Spain. Did we have land in Spain? No. Oh, right, okay. That's a shame. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yeah, so that's gone. Yeah. He was unable to mend the Monophysite Orthodox rift. But again, to be fair, not could anyone. No. Many people have tried this. No one's been successful. At like, least he did try. I think like you said, it's so historical, it's just become personal. Yeah, exactly. Theological. And then finally, a couple of little things that are neither good or bad, just of note. He's often given credit for changing the official language of the empire to Greek. Okay. This was part of his making the empire more efficient. Why are all these documents in Latin, he said. No one speaks Latin. <laughs> Shall we just write everything down in Greek so we all understand what's going on? So did most people speak Greek at the time? Yeah, no one spoke Latin in the capital by this point. Mm. Uh, but the official language for legal documents was still mm. Latin. So no one spoke it apart from those in the legal profession. So he said, no, let's, let's just use Greek. That's really interesting. So even, even then you think more people speak it, but even almost then it was a dead language. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. At least in the East. I mean, it's still, yeah. it's still surviving in the West at this point. But yeah, in the Roman Empire, Latin is pretty much dead. So he's, he's often given credit for officially ending it. But it should be noted that this is a gradual process over time. Yeah, like a shift that was probably already happening. Yeah, it was already happening. The main reason why he's given credit is because after him, emperors are no longer declared as Augustus. 
Oh, really? No, but instead the Greek word basilius, which is um, Greek for king or ruler, but it was the word that yeah. the Greeks had been using for emperor uh, for, okay. for centuries. You shouldn't see this as a change of what the emperor is. Then. Just a title. Yeah, they've not become kings instead no. of emperors. It's just what the Greeks were using instead yeah. of what the Romans used to use. Yeah. Oh, so. Yeah, so you no longer have anyone proclaimed as Augustus anymore. And because of that, he's given credit that the language has changed, but people wouldn't have seen that back in his day. It would have just been an administrative thing that was done where people didn't really notice. Yeah. 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 So there you go. That's um, his success as Ultimus. A lot happened. I think more positive than negative. Because oh, yeah, definitely. Empire went from nothing to something. Yeah. You know, lost a bit that would have been gained. It's still something. It's still an empire. After he's finished with it. If it wasn't for him, the Empire would have been destroyed. He's the saviour. So the fact that, yes, he lost some of those games right at the end, well, they wouldn't have been there anyway. That's true, yeah. Yeah, he made net gains overall, and he defeated the Persian Empire. That's a huge deal. So, yeah, net positive, but I don't think I can go up into the 9s and 10s because... Well, I was thinking 8 for me personally. Yeah, I think I'm going to match you on an 8 there. That is... That's got to be a big score. That's a 16. Image of face. Okay, you've got a very curly beard and a happy face. You know what? You're really quite close there. Hey, beard! Hang on, which one is he? He's on the left. That's his son on the right. Ah, so what we've got is a coin, a gold coin. Yeah. And his son and him on it. He's got a beard. Yeah. He's got hair. Looks very uh, medieval, doesn't he? He looks very happy. He does look very happy. He's got a massive grin. His son, not so much, but he's probably a teenager. Yeah, he seems happy and bearded, but... I've actually included two coins this week. Ooh, because you most tease. most of the coins look like this, but yeah. there was one that caught my eye, and I thought it was unfair oh. if I only used that since most look like this. Yeah. I can only assume this coin was issued a bit later because this is the other coin. Oh, look at that mustache! Look at that beard! That's phenomenal. He has a massive mustache that is protruding from either side of his face and a huge beard that's almost down to his stomach. This is Gandalf level of beard. This really is. That's this phenomenal. Is, this takes Severus's beard and just laughs at it. Oh, yeah, this this is a beard to be feared. Yeah, but I mean, like I say, almost all the coins show him with that smaller, yeah. although still impressive beard, but this one individual beard... That's amazing. Yeah, so, there you go. Massive, massive beard with a huge moustache. So, earlier when I said he's growing his beard out, or moustache out, yeah. I was correct. Yes, that's I, I had a wry, wry smile to myself when you said that. That is brilliant. Um, I'm guessing he but... looked like this with the shorter beard when he was on campaign yeah. against the Persians. And then... Before and after. Yeah, and then later on, when he was losing it and ordering uh, his nephew's nose be cut off, he had yeah. a massive beard. Yeah. I'm guessing that's what's going on here. Uh, reverse side of the coin, nothing special. It's just steps and steps up to a cross, perhaps. It's yeah. hard to make out what that is there, but probably a cross. That's about it. So anyway, what 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 are you thinking? Oh, with that beard, I'm ten. It's, it's it's how can you not? It's it's good, isn't it? It's so good. It is so good. I might have to knock a point off. Why? Because that is not how he is usually represented. Most of the other coins had a smaller beard on. So this so? might just have been uh, a coin maker who got overexcited. <laughs> I d I, I'm giving him 10, I don't care. You're going for 9. I'm going to go for 9. So that is a very impressive 4.75. You know what? I've not worked it out yet. We might even have a winner on our hands here. I think we do. Bloody hell. Right, okay. 
Let's get his final round done. How long do you think he lasts there? At least a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, there have been like several year campaigns, so yeah. it's going to be 20 years-ish, I'm guessing. 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. From 6.10 to 6.41. Oh, wow. 31 years, which gives him a score of 3.88. That's phenomenal. So, let's just remind you of the top score before we work this out, because I genuinely think we might have a contender to being ahead of Aurelian here. Aurelian is currently in the lead with 52.13. In second place is Constantine with 51.88. And in third place at the moment is our much more recent Justinian on 51.50. So they're our current top three. So what are Aurelian get? So I just added them up, I know the score. Oh, have you just done it? Yes, I know what he's got. Oh, I thought you were writing down those scores. I have. So we could compare them. What did Aurelian get then? Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, you weren't writing down those scores? No, I have written them down, but I I can't read my own writing. I can't (laughs) say it's 52 or 54. Aurelian got 52.13. That is our top score at the moment. Now, I don't know. You've worked it out. Jamie, please reveal what score did Heraclius get. Heraclius has got a score of 54.63. Wow. 54.63. 54.63. We have a new winner. And there, there was us questioning whether the uh, the Eastern Roman emperors would be able to hold up to the earlier ones. Oh, they're not just held up. They've they've held the other emperors' heads under the under the toilet as they're flushed. That's that's an impressive score. That's a top score. We've got a new leader. That's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, do you think that's justified? I think so. He's got slightly more crazy than the emperors. He's got... And I think that's what's done it. That's what's beaten him over Aurelian. Yeah. Slightly more crazy. Yeah. Not cra- not completely mental, but... Yeah, it's because he, he did enough. a couple of weird stuff at the end. It's almost he as if he knew. It's <laughs> yeah. almost as if he knew. It's like, I haven't done any crazy, really, throughout my life. Quick, right. Chop his nose off. And uh, I'm not crossing that sea. <laughs> no way. No. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, hello, niece. That's my niece. Everyone hear that? My niece. That's crazy. <laughs> Bibble. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It just he's, he's got a bit of everything, hasn't he? He has. He's an all rounder, we'll call him. He's an all round. He's a very high all rounder. Well, I think we now need to go into our final round. Do we? Not really, but you need chance to go and get the horns. Do they have a certain genesis? Should we just toot our horns right now? I think we should. Okay. Well done. <laughs> Well done, Heraclius. I, I think it's well deserved. Oh, absolutely. The last war between the Romans and Persians, the rise of Islam. You've got such big events. And he yeah. does interesting stuff throughout all of it. He's not just witnessing it. No. He's getting involved. Yes. Yes, he has losses, but they're interesting. Yes, he has victories, and they're interesting. And he's got stories about him fighting yeah. giants. and Yeah, on bridges. You know what? I'm happy that he's in the lead. The Empire was... Drowning, just a single finger yeah. sitting up from the, the bit of muddy water. He grabbed that finger yeah. and he yanked it, jerked that finger out of the water so fast. So, well done, Heraclius. Not only do you have Gene Caesar, you are now our overall winner in terms of points. Oh. Be interesting to see if anyone can beat you now. Oh, yeah. Okay. His son's next. Oh. Yes. I can tell by the look on your face. <laughs> He's not going to do well. <laughs> 
let's just say it's going to be a shorter episode. Okay. And we'll leave it at that. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for listening to this longer episode than normal. Yep. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can download us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Yeah. And Stitcher. And Stitcher as well. And uh, thank you very much. If you're leaving reviews, please leave a review if you can. Yeah. Yes. And if you wanted to know more about the fascinating Islamic conquest, which we'll go into more detail in future episodes, but there's so much I wasn't able to include in this Mm. episode, the podcast Flashpoint History uh, has a whole series on it, which is really interesting. So go and check out Flashpoint History for, for more detail on Khalid and how brilliant a general he was and about how Omar was very diplomatic. Yeah. Uh, all this stuff. Hmm. Yeah, fascinating history. So go and listen to that if you want to know more. Um, and all that needs to be said is suck on that, Aurelian. Suck on that. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>
he might just fall for it. We'd simply tell him there was a land route to Constantinople all along. Exactly, sir. Yes. By Jove, I think you've got it. I give you permission. Make it so. Excellent, sir. I shall just put an order through for 42 inflatable cows. Excellent. Just make sure you don't use helium like last time. Yes, sir. I think that's what started getting him so worked up in the first place. Started to denounce the whole thing as thinly disguised monophysitism. 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 Thinly disguised monophysitism. Thinly disguised monothesitism. Ah. If that is the word. <laughs> <laughs> After all that, it bloody better be. Yes. 